The talk you're about to hear is by Zen teacher Sensei Amala Wrightson. Today is the 21st of March 2023 and I'm going to talk a little bit about work this evening. Um, I was talking to somebody recently and um, was asked for any suggestions for Taisho topics and um, she immediately said work-life balance. Um, it was immediate response so it was clearly something that was on her mind. And uh, afterwards, at first, I thought, well, this is not something really that gets addressed in Zen, not directly anyway. And um, this has a lot, Zen has a lot to say about work and about life, but not, not specifically about work-life work balance, and I think there's a reason for that, and we'll um, get to that a little bit later. But we do get from the, from the classical teachings of Buddhism um, the Eightfold Path, the most fundamental of all the teachings, um, that the, the fifth aspect of this Eightfold Path is right livelihood. And it points to the crucial role that, uh, that how we make a living plays in our lives. It's, you think about how much of our time and energy and and attention goes into our work, and so it's a significant part of our lives, um, both in terms of um, time and energy, and but also karmically, because what we work at works on us, and um, affects our our mental continuum, you could say, our um, uh, consciousness. And, uh, and not only for ourselves, but also for those around, of, around us. When we think of the, 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 um, the major role of work in, our li in many of our lives, most of us, if you look, if you look back to the teaching around right livelihood, um, it's it's basically a livelihood that doesn't break the other precepts, especially the the first five, which are, are not to kill, not to steal, not to lie, not to sell or buy alcohol, in other words, not to spread it around, and not to misuse sex. So these are the these are the first five of our ten precepts, the ones that are share, we share with um, most of the rest of Buddhism. And these these precepts um, always have. They have um, prohibitions tied up with them, and really that means that the rest of the territory is wide open. Um, but this, probably the simplest way to understand how this this um, 
aspect of the path works, to think of it in terms of um, the three general resolutions we make before we take a actual jakai or the precepts and ceremony. And so if we think of how our right livelihood should be, should, that at least it doesn't cause any harm. And if possible, it does some good, it's of benefit. And then ultimately, that it helps to liberate people from their suffering in one way or another. This is really, these, these three sum up the spirit of our ethical choices. Not to cause harm, to do good, to be of benefit, and to help liberate other beings, not just human beings, from suffering. But when you come to this right livelihood, then it's, there are specific um, prohibitions that come along with it. Not to deal in arms, not to deal in people, in other words, slavery, not to trade in meat or in alcohol or drugs or poisons, and not to engage in fortune-telling, which might, might surprise people. So turning it around to the positive then, to look for an occupation that is of benefit to humans and animals or nature in general. We might, if we're, if we're of an idealistic bent, we might get too fussy and um, find it very hard to find a, an occupation that is without fault. And it's not a matter of this, you know, all things are deeply connected and um, there's, a, there's a lot you could say about human interaction with um, the world that are, is problematic. Um, most workplaces that we work in, there'll be, there'll be um, compromises, there'll be some things which are harmful and others which are uh, questionable. But I guess with this, to look for at least for one where there's not gross harm. Given, given that our human species is, is in a very profound ways engaging in an unhealthy relationship with um, the environment. But if we can find ways to, to ameliorate that, then those are the, those are the kinds of, of occupations to, to look for. Because um, there is such a desperate need. We could, if we can ask these questions, what, what, how, how can I be of use? What can I do with these hands and eyes and skills that I have? Where is there a need? And where am I called? There's a sense, a sense of really, really finding one's, one's, one's path can transform our work. And it's, it's no, no longer set against life, but is life. No, no need to think in terms of work-life balance when, when this identification happens.
wanted to read a little bit, of a little passage from Thich Nhat Hanh. This is from his compendium, The Heart of the Buddha's Teaching. And he's talking about right livelihood and how it functions in an interconnected world. He says, right livelihood is not just a personal matter. It is our collective karma. Suppose I am a school teacher and I believe that nurturing love and understanding in children is a beautiful occupation. I would object if someone to ask, would to ask me to stop teaching and become, for example, a butcher. But when I meditate on the interrelatedness of things, I see that the butcher is not the only person responsible for killing animals. We may think the butcher's livelihood is wrong and ours is right, but if we didn't eat meat, he would not have to kill. Right livelihood is a collective matter. The livelihood of each person affects everyone else. The butcher's children might benefit from my teaching, while my children, because they eat meat, share some responsibility for the butcher's livelihood. Suppose a farmer who sells his cattle as meat wants to receive the five mindfulness trainings. This is his label for uh, the five precepts, the first five precepts. He wants to know if he can, in the light of the first training of to protect life, not to kill, he feels that he he feels that he gives his cattle the best conditions for their well-being. He even operates his own slaughterhouse so that there is no unnecessary cruelty inflicted on the animals when he puts an end to their lives. He inherited his farm from his father and has a family to support. This is a dilemma. What should he do? His intentions are good, but he has inherited his farm and his habit energies from his ancestors. Every time a cow is slaughtered, it leaves an impression on his consciousness, which will come back to him in dreams, during meditation or at the moment of death. It is right livelihood to look after his cows so well while they are alive. He has the wish to be kind to his cows, and he wants the security of regular income for himself and his family. I was struck reading this, what, how, uh, uh, topical it is for us at the moment with the discussion that's going on around um, the need to curb greenhouse gases and uh, methane being one of the most um, urgently in need of curbing because of its um, uh, strength of warming uh, effect greater than CO2, even though it doesn't stick around for as long as CO2 does. But the, the enormous um, inertia that there can be in these, these systems, what Thich Nhat Hanh here calls the habit energies of his ancestors. We've, we've thought about cows and farming in a, in a certain way for a long time. And we all have, as citizens of, of New Zealand, even if we don't eat meat, we uh, share in some of the benefit of the wealth that is created by uh, the farming industry across the country. And people do need to have a livelihood, look after themselves and their families. 
guess I guess with this this con for farmers, um, there are many examples and more and more all the time of people who who farm and change the way they farm, farm more sustainably, um, ch changing the the methods that they use for for uh, fertilizing and so forth, away from um, polluting practices and uh, mass uh, factory type farms. But we, we, can't, we can't look down with, with a superior mind on these things. We, we um, are all uh, implicated in them. Um, farming is is the, the, the karma of this, all this slaughter um, is shared by all of us in this farming country. Thich continues talking about the farmer. He should continue to look deeply and practice mindfulness with his local sangha. As his insight deepens, the way out of the situation where he finds himself killing to make a living will present itself. Everything we do contributes to our effort to practice right livelihood. It is more than just the way we earn our paycheck. We cannot succeed at living a right livelihood 100%, but we can resolve to go in the direction of compassion and reducing suffering. We can resolve to help create a society in which there is more right livelihood and less wrong livelihood. More, more livelihoods that don't depend on killing. That 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 um, cultivate compassion, kindness, and life. Millions of people, for example, make their living in arm, the arms industry, helping directly or indirectly to manufacture conventional and nuclear weapons. Um, and this, again, is something that's become more topical again with the decision by Australia to um, employ um, nuclear-powered submarines. These, um, these nuclear vessels have the potential to cause so much damage in such a very short space of time where just one accident could, could kill off life in huge parts of the ocean. The US, China, Russia, France, Britain, China, and Germany are the primary suppliers of those weapons. Weapons are then sold to third world countries where people do not need guns, they need food. To manufacture or sell weapons is not right livelihood, but the responsibility for this situation lies with all of us, politicians, economists, and consumers. We have not yet organized a compelling national debate on this problem. We have to discuss this further. We have to keep cre creating new jobs so that one, no one has to live on the profits from weapons manufacture. If you are able to work in a profession that helps realize your ideal of compassion, be grateful. And please try to help create proper jobs for others by living mindfully, simply, and sanely. Use all of your energy to try to improve the situation. 
we can see um, in the United States, a major arms manufacturing country, the the terribly heavy karma that that um, the country suffers with with uh, gun crime, and uh, how how the use of guns in there. Um, in, has an influence on uh, the way that people see things. So what we choose to do, how we, uh, what, what kind of work we choose to undertake is um, um, momentous, really. One of the most important decisions or series of decisions that we make in our lives. Now turning from general Buddhism to Zen teaching, um, so so much teaching on on the work um, in in the um, teaching stories and the history of Zen. Um, Hyakujo, who appears in in some uh, koans, was was the initiator of um, a big change among in the monastic Buddhism in China which was um, getting the monks and nuns in the monasteries to work, to farm the land, to produce their food, or some of their food at least. And it, this the term, a day of no work is a day of no eating, originates with Hyakujo. Uh, this in contrast to Southern Buddhism, which um, where uh, alms food was the, the, uh, received by the monks and nuns to, to nourish them. But in China, this didn't feel appropriate to, to um, the, the harsher conditions of northern climb, climbs. Um, it seemed important not to rely on the sweat of people, lay people entirely, but to, to institute this um, work working in the fields, and not only was it done as a matter of feeding each other, but also it became a key element in the training. And there are many many uh, teaching stories about about this this work, and um, I'm just going to share two or three with with everybody. Um, I didn't intend to have this Taisho be a little shorter than usual to give us a little bit of time to do some work, <laughs> which is appropriate. Um, but just pulling out some of the teachings that appear in the Shoyoroku um, around work. This one is, is from um, Shoyoroku number 12, Deedsang plants the rice field. I'll just, just um, 
read the case. Di Zhang asked Xu Shan Shu, Where have you come from? Xu Shan Shu replied, From the south. Di Zhang said, How is Buddhism in the south these days? Xu Shan said, It is widely discussed. Di Zhang said, How can that compare to my planting the fields and growing rice to eat? Xu Shan said, How can you save the beings of the three worlds that way? Di Zhang said, What is it that you call the three worlds? So this, these, these koans often start with a, an opening kind of uh, uh, question. So you say this is the, this is the <coughs> opening serve of the, of the tennis match. <coughs> Where have you come from? Where are you coming from? Spiritually, where are you coming from? What's on your mind? What is your mind at this point? And Shushan says, seems quite prosaically, from the south. So Dizang then gives him, gives him another chance to, to show, what, show his mind. He says, how is Buddhism in the south these days? And Shushan says, it is widely discussed. Then Dixang asks a further question. How can that compare to my planting the fields and growing rice to the eat? How can that compare to my serving my brothers and sisters in the Dharma by growing rice? Such a thing, such a work was, would not be looked down on at all, but... but seen as, as really at the core of, of the practice. How can you save the beings of the three worlds that way? So he hears Shushan asks a challenging question. Shouldn't you, shouldn't you be doing your work, spiritual work, saving beings? Di Zhang says, what is it that you call the three worlds? This is one of the points of the koan. What is he saying here? Actualizing our understanding in the world, working in the world, is the pinnacle, you could say, in Zen. And whereas it's probably not so many Zen students these days who work in the fields, there are some places where they do, but we can apply it to other things we do. It doesn't just have to be agriculture, dishwashing, mopping the floor, vacuuming, dusting. I've done a lot of dusting over the last few days. When you, when you dust, you just trust. When you vacuum, you just vacuum. Turning to another, another show, Yoroku Khan. This is number 15. Yang Shang plants his hoe. The case. Gui Shan asked Yang Shang, Where have you been? 
Yangshan said, in the rice field. Guishan asked, how many people are there in the rice field? Yangshan thrust his hoe into the ground and stood with his hands clasped at his chest. Guishan said, there are many people cutting thatch on South Mountain. Yangshan took up his hoe and left. So again, we, this starts out with the, the, the first play, the initiation of the play between these two. Where have you been? Again, where are you coming from? What, what, is, your, uh, what is your spirit right now? Where have you come from? In the rice field, again. This is, would immediately be understood as referring to, to our Dharma work. You think of our, our raksus that we wear, which are in the form of um, rice fields, raised parts with, with the paddy fields in between, flooded. How many people are there in the rice field? Tell me, tell me what, what's the, the nature of this field? And Yangshan thrusts his hoe into the ground and stands with his hands clasped to his chest. One of the points is in this uh, case is, what is he saying? What, is, what is his, um, do his gestures imply here? And Guishan comes back, well, Okay, you do that, but tell me, what are you, how are you going to respond to the many people cutting thatch on South Mountain? There's a lot of work going on over there with, with lots of folks. And Yangshan took up his hoe and left. So another point of this is, is, what is, he, what is he doing here? Where's he going? What's, what's, his, what's he responding to? out of there. Not um, when there's work to be done, not separating ourselves from, from it, but throwing ourselves into it, helping where needed, responding. And the last, last one of the Shoyoroku, um, 20, number 21. Yunyan sweeps the grounds. This is the case. When Yunyan was sweeping the grounds, Dao Wu said, you're hard at it, aren't you? Yunyan said, you should know that there is one who isn't hard at it. Dao said, oh, is that so? You mean there is a second moon? Yunyan held up his broom and asked, which moon is this? Dao was silent. Later, Xuansha remarked, indeed, that is the second moon. Unmang commented, the servant greets the maid politely. So this, this time the challenge is a little bit more... Um, Aggressive, maybe. Strong. You're hard at it, aren't you? Yunyan, he says to Yunyan. 
Oh, you're, you're working really hard. And Yuyan says, you should know there is one who isn't hard at it. One of the, one of the questions in this koan is, show, show me that one who's not hard at it. What does that look like? Dawu challenges him, you mean there's a second moon? Moon. So there's two of you out there, one who's sweeping, um, working hard, and then one who isn't working and who isn't hard at it. Surely there's only one moon. And Yun Yun holds up, holds up his bream and says, which moon is this? Yes, which, which moon, which mind? The hard at it mind or the, hard, or the one that isn't? And Dawu at this was silent. What's the nature of his silence here? And what is Xuan Shah saying when he says, indeed that is the second moon? Is he approving or disapproving of the exchange? And again, what's when Yunman, also many, many years later, like 80 years later, something says, the servant greets the maid politely. So one of those points is understanding what Yunman is saying here. But this, this is an important teaching for us when we're working hard, maybe getting tired to also be aware of the one who isn't tired, who isn't hard at it. And this would bring us back to, to this question of, of work-life balance. And we see that in this, in this phrase, work-life balance, there's already an assumption that there's work and then there's life. And maybe it comes out of the fact that many people work, work simply to make a living, not, not so much to make a life. And therefore, they struggle with, this, with the conflict between these two aspects of themselves, work and life. But if, if we can be aware of the one who is not hard at it in the midst of our hard work, then the whole issue of work-life balance uh, recedes. wouldn't say that it probably disappears, but at least it recedes. It's not so uh, pressing. Uh, more examples from from uh, from the Muon Khan, but um, we're running out of time, so, so I'll just mention briefly a couple of them that related to this whole issue of of um, getting beyond our our sense of a subject and an object in terms of our work. The one who the one who who works and the work as as um, separate things. This one is is called a person of great strength. 
And Shogun asked, why is it that a person of great strength cannot lift her legs? And again, it is not with her tongue that she speaks. What is, how can we show, how can we understand this person of great strength? who isn't able to lift her legs or speak with her tongue. What kind of activity is that? In, in Mumon's verse, we get some clues to what he's talking about here. He says, lifting her leg, she kicks up the scented ocean. Lowering her head, she looks down on the four Diana heavens. There is no place to put this gigantic body. Please add the final line here. Beautiful bit of modernistic poetry, this. Please put, add the final line. But when the mind becomes expanded, when our sense of who and what we are becomes comes on, a, on a, a cosmic scale, you could say, then, then there, there, are, there is no, no actor acting upon something. It's just this process that we're a part of. Lifting her leg, she kicks up the scented ocean. Lowering her head, she looks down on the four Diana heavens. There is no place to put her gigantic body. We'll, st <clears throat> we'll stop here and recite the four vows. without number I vow to liberate The teaching you have received is offered freely. If you would like to make a donation to support the continuation of this podcast service or learn more about practice opportunities at the Auckland Zen Centre please visit www.aucklandzen.org.nz